Hey y'all, this is Shirley. We are living, loving, laughing in grace. And we are going to get right back into our word that the Lord had for us from Matthew chapter 15. Um, and this has just really been a beautiful word, right? We're, we're seeing how the Lord wants us to come to him just as we are, just as we are, my friends. And why is that so important? Because we will never understand how much God loves us if we think that he, he, he doesn't see us for who we are. The same is, is true with our loved ones around us, right? If we think that they see us in, in a, a mask that we're wearing or a pretension, we can never have intimacy. You know, it's like when you first start dating somebody, you put your best foot forward, right? Just like I do recommend you do that at a job interview, okay? Um, but, you know, when you first start dating someone, you put your best foot forward, right? That's what we do. We all do that. But at some point in that dating process, if both of you don't let go and go ahead and, and let each other see, right, your mistakes, see your little, right, we all have them, your little imperfections. If you think you always have to look perfect in front of them, that is a relationship that is doomed to fail, my friends. I actually know of pastors that during premarital counseling will ask, you know, what's it like when you two argue? And if a couple tells him that they don't ever argue, he'll tell them to come back when they do. <laughs> okay, because that means somebody's not being real. Okay, you take any two people, right, with any kind of a backbone and you throw them together into each other's lives, there's going to be arguments. What makes a relationship is that you love each other enough to get through those arguments. And of course, there's ways that we can, that we can argue that are actually very beneficial and that help us grow together and there's ways that tear us apart you know especially as a married couple when we argue when we remember that we're both on the same team okay this is not me versus him we're on the same team and what's good for me is good for my husband and what's bad for me is bad for him and vice versa it is not possible my friends I don't know, the Lord's got us down this trail right from the start. It is not possible in a marriage for something to be good for one partner and bad for the other or bad for one of them and good for the other. My friends, you're united. You're a whole, right? You are a team. And Jesus is in the middle. You know why he's in the middle? Because he's the one that actually keeps the marriage together. Amen. Amen. Look to him, my friends. Don't demand of each other, right? If we look to each other too much, like I was sharing, here we go, getting back into the word. We ended off with the woman worshiping the Lord by saying, the Lord, uh, Lord, help me, right? When I had my husband in the Lord's place, that puts all this demand on him, right? It doesn't mean I was going to him saying, I demand of you, I demand of you, I demand of you but it's all in the undercurrent of your relationship, right? And this doesn't have to be just with a, with a marriage, right? Also, I mean, in any kind of relationship, but especially in a marriage, Jesus is meant to be in the center, but we need him for all of our relationships. So I'm under, under, not needing to, but I'm putting all my demand on him for what? For my happiness, for my, for my joy, expecting him to solve every problem. That creates a heavy demand, my friend, that no one can live under. Nobody can live up to that. 
And unfortunately, that's why many times you see couples that fall in love and get married and then they're, 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 they end in divorce because they were both expecting everything out of each other that they should have been expecting out of God. Hallelujah. Woo. Oh, my friend, that was for you. Yes. Someone was meant to hear that today. You tuned in to find out some more about this Canaanite woman, but the Lord sees you. He sees where you're at. He sees your heart. And you need to understand something that with the Lord, it is never too late. Never, never, never too late. Invite him back into that marriage. Start turning. Put your, put your burdens on him. Cry to him. And you know what Jesus' first miracle was? He brought the wine. He turns the water into wine at the wedding. My friends, that's a picture. Wine in the Bible represents joy and celebration. That was a picture that Jesus is the one that brings joy and brings celebration to our marriages. And you know what I love about that account was he did this at a wedding. So yeah, my friends, did you know from the very beginning of your marriage, you need Jesus. From the very beginning of that relationship, if you want to have joy in it, true joy, you need Jesus turning the water into wine. But this is what I love. There's a hidden gem for those of us that have been married a long time. Even the water pots, the pots that should have had water in them were bone dry. My friend, if your marriage has gone dry and it feels hard and cold as stone, you know what Jesus does? He fills it up with the wine. He fills it up with the joy, the celebration. He brings it back to life. My friends, no one ever died in the presence of Jesus. And every funeral he was invited to turned into a celebration of life. He brings life. And when you look at what's going on, my friends, you know, Jesus didn't come to fight over right and wrong, good and bad. That's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He came to bring the dead things in our life to life. It's an issue of death or life. When you're making decisions, go to Jesus and see that he wants you to choose a life, decisions that lead to life. He wants to bring life back into your body. My friends, sickness is death begun. Jesus said the devil, the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. But I have come that you may have life and life more abundantly. Hallelujah, my friend. Look to the Lord. He sees your tears. He sees your pain. It ain't over yet. I know of a couple divorced for 10 years and the Lord restored their marriage restored their marriage. My friend, trust the Lord. Oh, he wants to bring the joy and celebration. Jesus, we thank you even right now that you are already working in that marriage. You saw before it started to fall apart, even before it started to run dry, you were already working to pour the wine back in. We declare that in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. My friend, I hope you feel how much the Lord loves you right now. This is all about his specific love for you. Amen. Hallelujah. Oh, we, Jesus. Okay. Here we go. <laughs> God, you're so good. Amen. So Matthew 15, verse 25. Then she came and worshiped him saying, Lord, help me. So remember, at first she started off quite a distance. She was shouting. 
shouting, pretending to be someone she wasn't, making a scene. The Lord gives her a little out, right? It's such a beautiful statement that lets her know, I know who you really are. But he also didn't tell her to go away. So she comes a little closer. And then she came and worshiped him saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Again, my friends, if we don't understand the context, that could seem a little harsh. Like, what? Jesus just, did Jesus just call her a dog? <laughs> yes, he did. <laughs> my friends, and bread in the Bible, the children's bread represents healing. Okay. And Jesus is what? He's the bread of life. But listen, why did he call her a little dog? And I, I do like that the New King James Version says little dog because actually, so here's the thing. Jews and this time called Gentiles dogs. They called them dogs. Like that was the, the traditional way of thinking that they called them dogs. What Jesus actually said to her is it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to puppies. The real word here in the original Greek is to throw it to little puppies, right? So now he's taken something that's normally a derogatory term. Again, he is getting at what? He's getting at the way she sees him and the way she sees herself and the way she thinks he sees her. Amen. So aren't puppies cute? Aren't they adorable? My husband and I have a, have a weekly appointment and we drive by this place where they have one of those guys out on the sidewalk and he goes nuts. You know, they have those signs that they flip around and, and do a little show to try and get your attention. Oh man, this, this guy, there is nobody I've seen like this guy. I mean, he's, he's like a, a, a teenager, young twenties. I don't know. I don't know. Right. That whole thing where like the older you get, the younger everyone else looks, <laughs> right? But, um, like, I think these kids are kids and they're like in their twenties. Anyhow, anyhow. So we pass by and he's always flipping this sign about puppies. One day I'm like, there must be a pet store around here. And I finally saw it. And now every now and then I'll ask my husband, can we stop in there? And he's like, no. And I'm like, but I just want to play with the puppies. We're not going to get one. And he's like, no. Right. Cause he knows better. I'm going to go in there and play with a puppy and we're going to come home with one. <laughs> I have this crazy idea that I could go in there and play with a puppy and not come home with one. We all know how cute puppies are, right? So that's what Jesus says, puppies. And she said, okay, my friends. So even before, so she started off shouting at him from a distance. And when she came and worshiped him, it was still with, with a, not quite the same shout, but it was still louder. Lord, help me! Exclamation point. And she said, Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. She's drawn closer. Yet even the little puppies eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, Oh, woman, great is your faith. Oh, woman, great is your faith. You know, there's very few people Jesus actually said that about. Oh, woman, great is your faith. And you know what? The first one also was not a Jew. It was a centurion. 
two people who were not familiar with the Jewish law. Remember, the Jewish law is the Ten Commandments and all the other laws. They're not familiar with all the judgment and condemnation that we heap on ourselves, trying to live up to a standard that was never meant to make us righteous, my friends. It was meant and designed to show us our need for a Savior. The law is a mirror. The law is not your shower. The law is a mirror to show you yourself if you think you don't need a Savior so you can see how dirty you are and go get in the shower. Who's the shower? Jesus is the shower. We are washed by the blood of the Lamb. So now she has dropped all pretense. You know what that means, my friends? When you can come to Jesus being completely honest about who you are and your situation, you know what you're really saying? What you're really saying is, Jesus, I see how compassionate you are. Jesus, I see how gracious you are. Jesus, I see how merciful you are. Jesus, I see how much you desire and long to help me and save me so much that I can come to you just the way I am. And you are not repulsed by me, but you love me and you will take care of me. No wonder he said, how great is your faith. Faith is a good opinion of the incredibly good God that we have. See, when we know who Jesus is, we know we don't have to hide who we are to come to him. But if we think that we have to come in pretension like she did at first, you know, in fact, she created such a scene. It's almost as if she's pretending to be one thing and actually thinks that if she makes a big enough scene, it's almost like she thinks she can kind of force Jesus's hand. Go ahead and give her what she wants so that she'll be quiet and leave. When we come to the Lord in our own words and our own self-righteousness, and I actually know people who do this very thing. They go around saying very loudly to everyone else, what, what God is going to do for them. They make crazy decisions talking about what they're going to do. And it's actually more that they think, okay, I've gone, Lord. I've told all these people that you're going to make me a millionaire. So now you've got to do it or you're going to look bad. Right? I kind of feel like that's how she started off coming to the Lord. Probably because I've seen that so much. But you can even tell if you really listen that there's a distance in the way they talk about God. He's not their loving daddy God. He's not their papa, their sweet savior. A lot of times they use God a lot, just God. Now we talk about God. But if someone is only ever referring to our heavenly father, our savior, as God, as very distant, as very cold. So she came and a big fuss. <laughs> My friends, we can't force his hand. We can't force him to bless us. We also can't force him to stop loving us. Right? He didn't give in to her tactics, but he also, seeing what she was doing, still loves her. Just like us. 
And what has he done here? He has drawn her further in. You know, the Lord does this with us sometimes. You know, sometimes we don't even realize we're coming to him in hypocrisy or trying to hide, right? We can't see those things about ourselves. That's why I told you, just cry out, Lord, help me. Just come to him. He'll deal with the rest, right? She did the one thing she needed to do. And she may have done it all wrong. She did it all wrong, but she did it. She came to Jesus. She came to Jesus. Everything about the way she did it was wrong. She was lying. She was hypocritical. She was pretending to be something she wasn't. She caused a scene. Everything about it was wrong. Her thinking was wrong. Her doctrine was wrong. She obviously in that moment had no clue who Jesus really was. And yet he refused to send her away. My friend, just come to Jesus. He will even teach us what to think if we will let him. Just come to him. He'll take care of all the barriers that are getting in the way. We can't see them. We don't know what they are. So much of the time they're ourself, like with this woman. And Jesus says, that's okay. Just come to him. He'll work it out. And in the process, you know what you get. You get to know your Savior. You get to know his heart for you. My friend, when you see the Lord's heart, when you see the heart of your Savior, when you see the heart of your daddy God, your heart will be healed. Your thinking will be healed. Even your body will be healed. Hallelujah. And Jesus, oh, the patience of Jesus. He'll keep drawing you in. He'll keep drawing you in. Till you get to know who he really is. And oh, by the way, that miracle you needed, you're going to get that too. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. Let it be to you as you desire. (laughs) He has now just raised her up. He has just honored her. This woman that even his disciples wanted sent away. He's just honored her, lifted her up out of the ground by saying, Oh, woman, great is your faith. That reminds me of a beautiful scripture in Peter that says, Humble yourself before the Lord, and he shall exalt you in due time. She humbled herself before the Lord, and he exalted her. And let it be to you. As you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. From that very hour, her daughter was healed. My friend, this is what we see. Jesus wanted her to have her miracle. He wanted her to have that 
that saving. He wanted to save her daughter, but he also wanted her to have the miracle worker. My friend, it's one thing to get a miracle. It's another to have the miracle worker. It's one thing to be saved in a moment. It's another to have the Savior. Sure, Jesus could have done the easy, quick thing and given her what she wanted from the beginning, but then that's exactly what would have happened. She would have had her miracle and left the miracle worker behind. She would have had that moment of saving and left the Savior behind. And that's not his heart for us. He wants us to want him the way he wants us. And when you get Jesus, my friends, you get the whole package. See, the problem is that we think too small. She just wants to save her daughter from that demon. He wants to save them both for all of eternity. Oh, my friend, God's ways are so much bigger. His thoughts are so much greater. His grace is so unimaginable. Hallelujah. Oh, my friends. You know, this is very, very similar to what I went through when the Lord saved my life. One of the many times he has saved my life. Oh, the devil's been after me a long time. But my God is bigger. <laughs> Amen. Always remember that, my friends. We have no reason to fear the devil. Okay? He spews out a lot of fear because he's in fear. Right? So, when I had been injured, had the head injury, exposed to the toxins, my body's given away. There was this period of time, I can't tell you how long because time meant nothing to me. Um, couldn't track it. Keep up with it. But anyways, I would go in and out of like these little mini comas where I might not wake up for two or three or sometimes even four days. Okay. The intensity of the pain, uh, just the, the weakness, how very weak my body had become. And um, anyways, but there was many times I was conscious. I just could not wake up enough to actually uh, interact with the world around me. And I would often lay there and think about all of my sin and how I deserved to be where I was, right? I've shared many times I had some wild years. And so it was so very easy for me to see that I deserved this. So I was believing that lie. I was also believing a lie that I'd already had a long, good life because the neighborhoods I lived in as a teenager, <laughs> people were dead or in prison by their early twenties. So it's a lie the devil brings. Like my friends, there's so much poverty does. It's not just the lack of having things. It's the dreams. It's the lack of value that you have in yourself because everything around you is screaming that you're, you're, you're worthless. You have no value. You, you end up not having any dreams or hopes because you're just trying to survive each day. And there's a world suffering right now, my friends. Anyhow, so with, without realizing it, that line of thinking had come into my thinking that I should be dead or prison by the time I'm in my 20s. So I was 28 and believing this lie that I had already lived a long, good life. So I believed I deserved it. So on one hand, I would ask the Lord for help. I would pray to him. But then on the other, I felt like I was getting what I deserved. 
So what was I really doing? When I was in those moments, I'm like this woman when she first came to the Lord in pretense and in self-righteousness, trying to create a scene, trying to force God's hand. My friends, for us to believe that we deserve to have any part of the curse after Jesus Christ became a curse for us, for us to believe that we should be sick and dying when he died in our place is nothing but self-righteousness and pride. Obviously, I didn't know that then. But that's what it is. My friends, he paid the cost. That's like us trying to pay it again to ourselves. But the problem is I am, I'm not good enough to be the cost or Jesus wouldn't have had to come in the first place. So it is actually self-righteousness to say, I deserve to be poor. I deserve to be in pain. I deserve to be sick. I deserve to have all these things happen to me that Jesus was cursed for on our behalf. Hallelujah. So anyhow, I went through this back and forth thing. Lord, help me. I deserve this. So I was like this woman when she first came to Jesus, right? And then there was a moment where I came conscious again, not, a, not all the way awake, but just kind of came conscious in my mind. And things had been, I don't know how bad for how long. And I knew I was dying. And I knew I was right on the edge of it. My friend, anyone that has ever been in that situation, you know that you know that you know when you're about to die. And I knew I was there. And I actually prayed the wrong prayer. And I asked the Lord to take my life. And can I tell you something? Spoiler alert, he didn't. <laughs> Obviously, you know that, right? But as soon as I asked him to take my life, the response I got was one of incredible grief. He, he, his presence, my father's presence. Right? Because at this time I had such a gross misunderstanding that I thought Jesus loved me, but that God was always judging me and angry at me and looking to punish me. My friends, they're one and the same. Jesus is God. God is Jesus. Yes, they, there are three distinct persons in one, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but they do not have contradictory thoughts or feelings or emotions. So the Lord showed me how very much it grieved him to see me in this pain. But he came to me, I could very much tell, in the presence of my Father. Now, I did not see him. This was not an outward vision, my friends, but this was a presence so palpable I could feel him. I could feel his presence in the room with me. And I could also feel that he was restraining his grief for me because he knew if he let it all go, it would crush me. And you know what? We are just going to have to cut it off right there. I know my friends, but you know how our God is. He does not know how to, to give enough. He always overgives and overgives and he's given us so many goodies that we've run out of time. So we will have to get, uh, we'll get back into this in the next podcast. So join me uh, as we finish looking at this beautiful, beautiful truth that the Lord has for us in this word. All right.
The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face on you and grant you peace. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. All right, y'all. Till next time, keep on living, loving, laughing in grace.